Hi everyone, welcome back to My Autism Tribe. I hope everyone is hanging in there. School is out, so no more of the non-traditional instruction in our home. However, we are going a little crazier as the days go on. Regardless, thanks for checking back in, and if this is your first time, welcome. I hope you find a piece of your autism advocacy here. Today's guest is Dr. Brad Ferguson. He is an assistant research professor in the Departments of Health Psychology and Radiology at the Thompson Center for Autism and Neurodevelopmental Disorders at the University of Missouri. And I wonder if he has all of this on his business card. Um, I'm really pumped about the information that he's going to share today, so please stay tuned. And don't forget to check us out on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter platforms. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we sure would love a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts um, because it helps make our voices stronger. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, an organization of advocates that are educating, supporting, and empowering those in our communities. We are one voice made stronger. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Dr. Ferguson has been conducting research in autism for over 12 years, and his main research focus over that period of time has been the study of co-occurring conditions in autism, mainly gastrointestinal problems and problem behaviors. And his goal is to find out why many autistic individuals have co-occurring conditions so that they can be addressed, which will ultimately lead to an increased quality of life. So let's welcome Dr. Ferguson to our show. Thanks again so much for joining us today, Brad. No problem. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I, I called you Brad. I don't know if you you worked very hard to get the doctor with your name. Do you prefer Dr. Ferguson or Dr. Brad Ferguson or how do you want to be recognized or called? You know, I like I like to be called Brad. Uh, you know, I got the degree just so I can do the work that I do and so uh, please just call me Brad. Okay, awesome. So uh, you come very highly recommended. Um, I had a guest several several months ago on the show, and she said, listen, you need to talk to Dr. Brad Ferguson because he has done so much research um, in the field of autism, and he would is just a wealth of information. So I know we've been kind of playing email tag back and forth over the past couple of months because we've all been in this kind of crazy, chaotic state, um, and not much has changed uh, to lead us to where we are today, but... Um, Thanks again so much for your time. I want you to kind of give everyone a little bit of a background on what kind of research that you've been doing and why that's so important to you. Mm-hmm. Sure. So uh, for the majority of my uh, research career, uh, I've really been focusing on co-occurring conditions in autism. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of research in the past that's looked at you know, differences between people with autism and without autism and certain things, and, and uh, I didn't find that to be too helpful, uh, but I, I found an area that I wanted to intervene in, and that was, you know, co-occurring conditions. A lot of people with autism uh, have co-occurring conditions. There's a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of gastrointestinal problems, um, I'm sure, as you well know. Mm-hmm. And so my research is focused on, you know, why do so many people with autism have gastrointestinal problems? And when I say GI problems, uh, you know, this this is typically and largely is constipation. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak to a lot of parents, a lot of uh, children and adolescents with autism, 
some of these individuals haven't been able to uh, have a bowel movement um, sometimes for a week at a time. Mm. Um, this is very painful. You know, this, this takes them out of activities, um, you know, with their families. Uh, this, this takes them out of school. Uh, and it's painful. And, and I wanted to do something about that. And so uh, that's been my main focus uh, of, of research. Um, and we've really studied... Uh, you know, why why is it that these people have GI problems? And we've studied the, the stress response. We know that the stress response, even in people without autism, mm-hmm. uh, there tends to be an altered stress response uh, in people who have gastrointestinal problems. And we know that a lot of individuals with autism uh, have, have an augmented or a heightened stress response. Sure. And so that's been my main, that's been my main, um, research focus over the years. And so when you say research, and this has always just fascinated me because I love psychology, I love research. I think most people would agree that any parent, caregiver, um, and then people themselves on the spectrum, we've all gone down rabbit holes of research ourselves. And whether you call Google research or not, (laughs) um, there has been some level of just wanting to get more knowledge surrounding whatever issue we may be having at that moment. So when you say research, what does that entail? Like it, are how many people are involved? What does that look like? Over what time period is that involved in? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah, those, are, those are great questions. And so um, the research, in my opinion, it always moves very slowly. I, I always want to give parents and caregivers and people about them the research results as quickly as possible, but at the same time, I want to maintain a very high level of quality. Uh, so the research takes a long time. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, some of the things we'll be talking about today has happened over a period of about a decade, um, which is a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it takes a long time uh, the quality needs to be there. By quality, I mean uh, that the, the methods that are used are are quality in nature. Um, they're they're based on um, you know stand, if you're say for example in, in GI research literature, uh, there's a really nice study that was published back in 2010 in pediatrics by a well-known uh, group of gastroenterologists, uh, Tim Bowie and uh, Harlan Winter. Uh, and they found that the prevalence of GI problems in autism ranged from anywhere from 9% to 91%. And the reason why they found that is because a lot of people aren't using standardized measures for GI problems, and so there's a huge range. We know there's a lot of GI problems in autism. Uh, most of them are just based on you know clinical reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so we want to make sure that we use standardized measures uh, in our research uh, questionnaires, things of that nature, uh, and so that we can produce the highest quality research uh, possible. Um, sure. There's also the issue of funding, uh, and especially, you know, if it's very, sometimes very difficult to get funding for your research, you know, you, you spend, uh, just recently, you know, I spent four months last year putting together a grant application, I had to wait six months, only to be told, no, uh, you mm. don't. We're not going to fund you. And so then it's back to the drawing board. And so that adds to the amount of time 
that it, that it takes. Mm-hmm. And, and so all the while, you know, there's parents and everybody needs answers, right? Yeah. Uh, and and so it's very frustrating. And so that's, that's really the balance, is trying to get the, the highest quality research out as quickly as possible. Uh, and, and it's difficult. It is. And what I found to be really frustrating is that as most things in life, you don't ever really have a controlled environment, right? So it's you, like if we try uh, one particular supplement or we try one type of therapy, there are a lot of different pieces that are moving at the same time. And so if we start seeing a problem behavior or even... Um, progress in a certain area, it's hard to be able to pinpoint, okay, is this due to the therapy that, you know, that we've had incorporated this week? Is this due to the supplement that we incorporated last week? What, what is it that is contributing to this, you know, regression or progression? And so I don't know, um, it, it's not something that, you know, you don't have someone in a lab, like necessarily. So do you have like a, a group of individuals that you work with and have worked with over a long period of time, like you said, maybe the last decade that, that you've been following during this whole time? Uh, yeah, well, we do. We have some, we're not formally following them, and that's another uh, uh, wonderful thing if you can get it, if you can find families, and typically you can. Mm-hmm. I'm sure as you well know, um, parents of children and, uh, and adolescents with autism, they're very well engaged, they're involved, uh, they're, they're very strong advocates. And so sometimes you can find families that want to do what we call longitudinal studies, or you know, these studies that take place over, over time, could be you know, two or three years, it could be a decade, it could mm-hmm. be lifespan. Um, and if you can find that and you can get funding for that, that is the absolute most uh, wonderful thing that you can get. Sure. Um, and then the other issue that you bring up of, uh, you know, things that, um, you know, what is your, tre- it, it, let's say you're doing a, a drug study, right? And you're trying to test to see if a drug is, can help improve sociability or GI problems or whatever in autism. Uh, and sometimes it is difficult to ascertain you know, is my treatment, is my drug really what's causing these improvements or is it something else? Because like you said, it's a moving target. Yeah. Uh, kids are engaged in, in ADA therapies or they're, you may be trying different diets at home or mm-hmm. you may be, um, there's any number of things uh, that could change. And so that's why we really try in our studies to get as many people involved um, as we can, you know. The higher the sample size, the better because then those things, uh, tend to average out, if you will. So, yeah. um, if you know you have a few people that are getting better due to you know not not because of your drugs, they're getting better socially because of other things they're doing. Maybe they're getting older, they're exposed to more people, so they're talking more, what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, those if you have a larger sample size, and those those little blips tend to average out. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough balance. It really is, and. I know that you, it's like your goal is to find out why these co-occurring conditions happen so that they can ultimately be addressed. Um, are you allowed to share 
I guess, do you have a hypothesis, I guess, at this moment, like why there is prevalence of gastrointestinal problems that that lead to problem behaviors? Are you allowed to share any of your opinions on that or... Absolutely, yeah. My goal here is to be as open as possible. Um, so again, you know, this is all based on research, and the research is ongoing. And then when I say ongoing, as in, you know, when we're done with this call today, I'm going to be working on um, some some research related to this talk. So um, there's a lot of there's a few different ideas right now as to why so many children with autism have GI problems. Um, my, my thought tends to be that uh, it has to do with an altered or enhanced stress response. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and this could be, and when I say stress response, I mean, you know, it's very difficult for many individuals with autism um, to, uh, to deal with their environment. You know, there's, there's uh, sights and sounds and, and uh, people wanting to talk to them, and there's eye contact. All these things can be very stressful. Um, and when you when you create a stressful environment, when you cre- when you have a heightened what we call a fight or flight response, right? Like you mm-hmm. see a tiger, and your immediate reaction, and most of us I would assume, is to you know, your palms get sweaty. Sure. Uh, your pupils dilate. But you're trying to assess a threat. Uh, and if you picture an individual who's in that heightened you know, state of stress all the time, uh, then we know physiologically, you know, what happens to other parts of the body. And so when you're stressed, um, what happens is, is that your uh, your body tends to kind of go into this, like I said, fight or flight mode. So your, your bowels are suppressed. Mm. Uh, whatever you have uh, in your GI tract, um, it's not going to move as much. Uh, because your main goal is to assess the threat, maybe run away, maybe uh, fight something. And so, um, you know, sleep is kind of suppressed. You've got increased um, things like cortisol. These are, it's like a stress hormone that uh, can help you, in, you know, engage this fight or flight response. It also suppresses the immune response. So this, you know, when you're stressed, mm-hmm. you can actually... Uh, it's a lot easier to get sick. Yes. Yep. Um, and so that's that's kind of my school of thought here, and that's that's we found a lot of evidence to uh, show this. My a lot of my early work has shown that there's an increased stress response in kids with autism that have GI problems. Um, but then there's also some other groups that are looking at um, serotonin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority, a lot of people think you, know, you hear serotonin, you think brain, and that is correct. But the majority of, of serotonin in your body is made in the gut. It is it is made in the gut, and and it has to do with um, gastrointestinal motility or the the ability for the gut to move the stool along. And eventually out of the body. So there's there's a few different schools of thought. They're all kind of interrelated too. Yeah. Um, so so we don't know for sure, uh, but we do we just we do our research studies. We find the evidence, and then um, if something starts to look like it's a viable um, you know mechanism for why it's occurring, then we we just keep researching it further until the data says, hey, this is probably not what it is. It's, it's, uh, so I that's, love that's that. Where we are. 
Yeah, I love that. I think with so many other things in, like, you know, anytime that we're sick, we go to the doctor, and it's my kind of thinking is that so often we're putting a Band-Aid on things. So instead of, like, really trying to dig deeper into what the root of the problem is because once you address the root, then all of these different limbs that come off of, of the tree can be addressed. And so if really the, the GI problems, which lead to the problem behaviors, if the root of that is the stress response of the body, then what you're saying essentially is that if we address the the stress the, of how the body is reacting to it, whether that's serotonin or or what, then all of that maybe not necessarily fixes itself, but certainly helps. Is that right? Or Absolutely. Yep, that's, and that's okay. kind of where we're going. We, we want to try and make the, the largest impact that we can uh, in, in, in treating these problems. And, and uh, you know, yeah, we, this, like you said, the stress response is really important. A lot of people with autism have sleep problems. Well, that's related to stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem behaviors related to stress. GI problems related to stress. Yeah, so, yeah everything that we've looked at over the past um, decade or so has kind of just led back to increased levels of stress. Mm-hmm. And right, and, and if you treat stress, right, you know, I don't think anyone's going to come to you and say, no, I, I like being stressed, right? So right. If, yeah. you lower, if you lower someone's stress levels, like, you know, that's, that's helpful, and uh, along the way, you know, even if some of these things aren't fixed, maybe it's something else, hey, you end up being a, a less stressed, more calm individual, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's What's interesting, though, is that, and I've, I've struggled with this myself, being stressed may be the only, that may be your normal. You may not know what it is like to not be stressed. I may not know if I am indeed stressed unless I notice the tension in my in my shoulders. What are some of the other stress responses other than the GI problems that you guys have found? I guess, and maybe maybe those are some of the co-occurring conditions in autism. Right. So currently, um, our our laboratory at the University of Missouri. Um, is working on a clinical trial. It's being led by Dr. David Beverstorff. Um, he's been a great friend and colleague of mine for over a decade now. I did my graduate training with him, and, and he's a physician um, at the Thompson Center for Autism here at the University of Missouri. We've been studying a drug called propranolol. Uh, propranolol is uh, it's what's called a beta blocker. Uh, and all that means is that... Um, Typically, you know, when you get stressed, uh, there's a bunch of chemicals in the body that are released. One of them is uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, or two of them, rather. Um, and these these kind of prepare your body for fight or flight. Okay. And so, so let's say, again, like you, I use that example, like you see a tiger and your pupils get bigger, you start sweating, your heart rate increases, you're trying to get ready to to mobilize and get out of there or, or fight the threat. Um, this drug blocks that response. So if you were to take the drug and it, it kind of it sits in those data receptors and it blocks them. So when uh, 
And so if you can't bind to that receptor, then you can't can't have a stress response. And um, that's fascinating. So that's, that's, yeah, so that's, that's the clinical trial that we are actually wrapping up right now. We should have some results later this fall. Okay. Um, things have been kind of altered due to COVID, uh, but we've adapted, and we have an excellent research team uh, at the top center that's helped us helped us do that. Uh, but the main goal of this of this study is to examine how uh, this drug, propranolol, affects sociability, social skills, um, things of that nature. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's other things in autism that we're studying that are related to the stress response, right? Because you think about it, anybody. I mean, yeah. you don't have to have autism to, to right. know that if you're stressed, uh, how social are you? you right. Know, how, 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 how social do you want to be when you're I know that when I'm very stressed about something... I tend to kind of go inward, if you will, yeah. and just kind of um, want to be alone, kind of think, and uh, not really talk to the people. And so if you take an individual who has autism, you may be very stressed. Yeah. Whether they know it or not, like you said, you know, they may not they may not know it because it's kind of their uh, quote-unquote normal, you know. Sure. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's what we're doing is we're, we're a stress lab. We have a very... Um, uh, razor sharp focus on on stress and, and trying to uh, block that stress response, and then see what happens to behavior and psychological functioning, GI problems, and whatnot. Now, are most of the people that you guys work with in Missouri, or do you work outside of the state? That's a great question. Uh, most of the people at the Thompson Center, you know. So we're located in Mid-Missouri, so we're like smack dab between Kansas City and St. Louis. And so most of the people that we work with are from Missouri. However, um, through networks like the Autism Treatment Network mm-hmm. and the Autism Intervention um, Research Network on Physical Health, which is part of um, the APN, um, we're able to do multi-site clinical trials. Okay. And so we work on a lot of clinical, this, the preferential trial I told you about, that is a single site, so that is just the University of Missouri. Um, but we have other clinical trials that are ongoing um, and other studies that where we collaborate with, say, Vanderbilt in uh, Nashville. Okay. Where we collaborate with uh, Cincinnati or Harvard or other, other sites. And so we're able to uh, kind of gain an idea of, uh, you know, whether this treatment is going to work in other parts of the country. Uh, and, and if it does, then that kind of gives you a better idea. Well, you know, there's, it's likely not a regional effect, you know, because as you know, different diets in the South versus the Northeast sure. versus the West. And, and it kind of gives you an idea. Um, but yeah, most of our people here are, uh, are local, are Missourians. Okay. Okay, and that makes it easier too, I guess, especially if they're needing to come in, um, you know, for, I guess, for assessment or whatever you would call it. Um, but that's amazing. Yeah, and, that, and that's something that we're trying to, like, with, with the whole uh, uh, COVID, um, the pandemic that's going on, uh, it's kind of forced us to use telehealth. Mm-hmm. And I've been wanting to do this for years, and it's, you know, we as researchers, we get 
stuck in our ways and uh, bring people into the lab. And <laughs> yeah. I think this thing, I think you may start to see that um, with the, the rise of telehealth and all, that's um, kind of been pushed by, by COVID, um, that you may start to see clinical trials where people are enrolled um, remotely. And so you could maybe ship them the drug. Yeah. Uh, so we could start. We could start looking at people in other parts of the country or even the world, yeah. and just do telehealth visits, and uh, and that would really expand our reach. And so I think you might start seeing more of that uh, very soon. It's interesting you say that because just from my nine to five job, it's a lot of. I mean, everything's been Zoom conferences or WebEx or, you know, whatever. And at first, you know, people were kind of scratching their heads and wondering how in the world is this ever going to work? And as the days and the weeks passed, we kind of realized is that not only is it working, but it's rather, it's been rather convenient in a lot of cases because like you said, it's allowed us to be able to expand our reach um, and not necessarily focus on just the the local zip codes, if you will. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Brad, I just, I really thank you so much for just sharing so much information with us. And I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. You and your team, everyone at the Thompson Center. And um, is there a place where you would direct people if they wanted to learn a little bit more information on the kind of studies that you guys are doing or about some of the GI studies that you guys have going on? Is there a place where you'd like to direct people? Uh, Sure. So, um, there is uh, the Thompson Center website, thompsoncenter.missouri.edu. Okay. Uh, and there's a, there's a wealth of information on there. Um, we've also uh, mobilized to social media, like Facebook and Twitter. Okay. Um, there's a, and, and these groups, you know, you're able to get, you know, up to the second information and, and, and talk with people. Okay. Um, and so the Thompson Center has like a, a parent group that's on Facebook. Facebook, I know about. Um, if you're interested in things like clinical trials, um, just the only thing that I encourage is safety. And so, um, you know, you would want to make sure that you're going to places like clinicaltrials.gov. And any clinical trial that's listed on there is, is um, likely going to be very safe. Okay. Um, and and uh, a legit clinical trial. And so things of that nature. And if you ever have, you know, parents, caregivers ever have questions about whether, uh, you know, what they're wanting to try with their child uh, is is okay, or just you can always uh, email one of us or another, you know, autism doctor or make an appointment with your physician uh, to, to ask about those things. That's really what I would recommend. Okay. That's all great information. Yeah, it's there's so much information out there, so many different products and services that we're hearing about on a daily basis. There's something new every single day that's coming out. And, you know, it's, um, it's easy to kind of get emotionally pulled into that because at the end of the day, we're all just wanting our loved ones to have... Um, be the best that they can be and live a quality life. And so um, our emotions are very much invested in that. And so, um, but always make sure that you check with your doctor, pediatrician, the researchers that are behind it, all of that um, to make sure that it is safe. Um, So 
Thanks again, Brad, for your time. And um, thanks for being a part of my autism tribe. And I look forward to just staying in contact with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. There are so many organizations out there that are doing amazing research on autism-related topics, and many of them that I'm just discovering. These people are devoting their lives to make sure that we're making positive strides and gaining more information than we had yesterday in order to make improvements in the lives of those that we love so much. So thanks so much for being a part of my autism tribe, and I'll talk to you soon.